VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 698, recorded on October 5th, 2023. Ninety-eighth edition of the TD Gaming Podcast and five hundred and thirty-first episode of Video Game Roundtable. I'm TJ Dickhazer. I'm Scott Dirk. And I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry. Yeah, we're approaching seven hundred, fast and furious. Let's see what I can get around for seven hundred. Uh, TJ, what have you been playing? I uh, re-downloaded Bionic Commando Rearmed. Really? Last week. I, I, I've been jonesing for Bionic Commando, like the old school Bionic, Bionic Commando, not the new one that like was crappy and terrible and had Pepsi uh, ad placement. Um, <laughs> I really like that game. The original NES game is like one of the first games I ever like beat and was thrilled that I beat. And uh, Bionic Commando Rearmed is like, it was, it was an Xbox 360, like one of the Summer of Arcade titles, I think, right? Yeah, you're not talking about the 88 NES version. You're talking about the uh, XBLA version, right? Yes, which it, it also happens to be on Steam. Um, I forgot. Was, so, was was the sequel good or not? Uh, the 2008 re... No, the uh, 2011. The, the Bionic uh, Commando no, Rearm 2. That's the one I was saying. Oh, I don't know. I've never played the sequel. Oh, okay. Um... I only played both. You only played the what? Straight up retelling of the original and reworked version of the original. Um, but yeah, the 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 one that came out in the third person, the third person one that came out in two thousand nine sucked. It was horrible. Right. What's interesting is that um, the uh, Bionic Commando Rearmed two was a sequel to Bionic Commando Rearmed. And it's also a sequel to 2009 Bionic Commando. It's like it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a sequel to both of them. <laughs> so right, um, yeah, this the Bionic Commando Rearm 2 came out in 2011. So you might enjoy it. Unfortunately, not available on Steam. I don't even know. It might yeah. not. It might have been delisted from Xbox 360, PS3 too. I'm not sure. But um. I forgot how hard some of the challenge levels are in the Bionic Commando. You really had to have some very tight reflexes to get through, through some of those. I like to think that I'm pretty good at the weird swinging system. For those who don't know, Bionic Commando, like the originals, they, they don't have a jump button. Instead, you have a grappling hook arm. I always had a frustrating through. time with that because I wanted to jump, and he wouldn't jump. And <laughs> it, was, it was hard for me to really make that transition into just using the the, the the bionic hook. Right. Yeah, but once you got good at it, it make you, it made you feel so good for figuring it out and like getting yeah. those reflexes down. Uh, it was like one of my favorite things to learn in that game was just how momentum worked. Because like you could swing forward, you could you could uh, like press down to like drop yourself on a short jump, uh, or just like drop like a rock. Or you could pull yourself up to the top and like either climb up above you or drop down straight down. And the sheer amount of things you could do with momentum in that game were like 
really impressive for an early NES title, and it it's really fun in Bionic Commando Rearmed. You know that uh, Bionic Commando Rearmed 2 added the ability to jump? Ugh. I already don't want to play it. <laughs> Some people didn't like it because they, they they have muscle memory, you know, and when they press A, yeah, they jump. I mean. It's muscle memory. It's, it's My brain keeps going, okay, I've played Mario, I've played so many other games where I'm jumping, and it's just like, okay, we're going to jump. And this is like the only game that doesn't do it, you know? <laughs> He's a big soldier man with a big metal arm. I know, He's the metal arm is too heavy. <laughs> the sequel got mixed reviews. Uh, but I love that original. I I love uh, the original and I love Rearmed. I still have my NES uh, cartridge of the original. Uh, oh, that's awesome! It's, it's one of my uh, prized possessions. Yeah. On a, oh, by the way, on a side note, uh, remember we we're talking. Um, there are some new games that are coming out for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred with cartridges that are compatible with the original and also the uh, remat. You know, the new system that's coming out, which will have a cartridge slot. Who knows? Maybe cartridges will be the big thing again. Mm, that'd be interesting. Oh, that's right. They, uh, they, um, there are companies that'll make you cartridge replicas of of games and whatnot. Uh, I don't believe they have the game. It's just like a cartridge, so you could just have that that physical thing to look at and hold in your hand and just remember the memories and whatnot. Well, it's more than memories because these cartridges you can actually put in the twenty six hundred or the new. Mm. remastered version of the Atari 2600 and actually play the games on it. Oh, that is good. Yeah. Uh, what have you been playing there, Scott? I've been playing uh, Sukaden 3 because I'm just, you know, taking a trip down memory lane wanting to replay that game. You realize uh, 100 Heroes is not coming out until April, right? I know. It's going to be a while. Uh, I plan on replaying 5 on, you know, later on, too. And uh, I don't know what I'll play next after that, but it's just it's just nice to look back, you know, in the PS2 era and the 3D graphics for that time wasn't that bad. I mean, it was different. It wasn't photo real, but it still looks nice. You know, it It was all bad. (laughs) It was some were bad, but not that one. That one was okay. It was like we're going to do 3D because we have to. Yeah, it, it was a little awkward. It was a little bit rough around the edge, but it's still nice and I don't mind it. Um, you know, compared to some other 3D games that are just, it's like really bad. I remember Cas- uh, like, uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night had to have that 3D animation when you, uh, when you were reborn, just because, hey, we have 3D in this game. Well, the rest of it's yeah. 2D, but that that That's diamond cool. that appears is 3D. I thought it was a it was a, a, a die 20, like a, a, a something like that. or something like that. No, it was, it was it was it was a polyhedron of some sort, and it's like you know, it's like it just rotates in front of you. Okay, there, there's your three D yeah. for the game. Yeah, uh, but it that was a beautiful game. I mean, I just love that one for being two D and the pixel art, and would love more Castlevania games like that. But uh, I don't know. We'll have to see what uh, Konami wants to do with those titles. All right. As for me, aside from Starfield, which I'm still playing, and the thing is, I'm just exploring and. Taking all these tourist shots, these photos, you know, and just it's like, oh, wow, this looks awesome. You know, it's just so many pictures that I'm taking that are like painting, you know, painting quality. I'll have to send like one of me in a star field, you know. Um, but the old game that I've started playing is Sherlock Holmes Chapter One because it's always, it was on sale. And I said, OK, why not? Let me try it out. It's actually easier than I thought it would be. Which game was this? Sherlock Holmes Chapter One. 
Oh, you talking about the um, ICOM? No, I'm talking about Frogware. They they do all these Sherlock Holmes games. Oh, you know well, the one which... with the one with John, who's your imaginary friend, uh, childhood uh, buddy. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes Chapter One. Yeah, yeah. I started playing it. It's a lot easier it. than I thought it would be, but you know, I thought it was going to be something that was brutally hard, but no, it's not. I can yeah. play Phoenix Wright, but I'm not going to yet. I. I really enjoyed that one. Like the one, you, have you gotten past the hotel and into the te- end of the city yet? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm in the free mode. Um, I've started doing the it's, archive uh, things. It's really interesting. Like I don't remember. I I haven't played many of the earlier Sherlock Holmes games, so I don't know if they were as open world as that one. And, no, the, like, the earlier ones just, had had creepy Watson. That's what they're most known right. for. <laughs> and that's what John is based off. Yeah, he, he's not Watson. He's totally just like. He totally just like appears wherever you happen to be looking. But that's because that's because he's your he's your your childhood uh, fantasy friend, you know, your his right. invisible friend. I um, love how they turned creepy Watson into an actual game mechanic and a and like a side character. He's more like the Joker in um, Batman Arkham uh, Knight, you know, in which he just yeah. appears, you know, sitting down someplace. That's all. No, what do creepy, you think of the fact that like did you did you realize that like you can kind of change the outcome of cases depending on where you're where you go with your clues oh yeah yeah um for the um i i was i made it so that the um uh that the seance guy was guilty you know he murdered her but then i what's it called i said i was going to arrest him and then he told his story and said no nah, you can go you've got a good heart jonah <laughs> Well, the, the lady just ripped him off. She ruined him. So he's yeah. already, he's already, you know, he, he's on the, he's on the lamb now. He's just not under I arrest. The, I went the same direction, just because like that guy was absolutely a pathetic. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can either say um, he's obviously a Dexter thief, you know, because he has, you know, and all that stuff, or he's. Um, He's he's like a, a um he's just emaciated and, and poor and you know what's it called he's really is a, a seance guy but he's down on his luck or he's a, a total con man so you have that choice of deciding what he is you know mm-hmm. those games are really fun though I never finished uh, chapter one I need to go back and complete it because I also kind of want to play the one where uh, they mix Sherlock Holmes with uh, Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> Well, I mean, Frogware did both. They did the they did their Cthulhu game. That was their only non-Sherlock Holmes game. Was um was it the Sinking City or Call of Cthulhu? I'm trying to remember which one Frogwares did. Uh, the Sinking City. There, right. there was a whole big uh, kerfuffle about that. Yeah. About like uh, Frogware, like basically whoever published basically didn't pay shot Frogware at all, so Frogware delisted the game. Wow. I, I think I still have it, though. You can still download it. But yeah, Sherlock Holmes The Awakened is the one that I was thinking of, where okay. uh, they took Call of Cthulhu and they took Sherlock Holmes and mixed them into one game. Right. Anyway, I'm doing that. Um, I am going to play Assassin's Creed as soon as it arrives. So um, it's getting B reviews, you know, B, B plus. Uh, apparently the um, time of play for the campaign is 20 hours, 
which is in stark contrast to uh, Valhalla, which was over 100. And I welcome the change. Also, what I really like is that you don't have levels anymore. If you want to assassinate someone, you don't have to be as higher level, and then you just can kill them. <laughs> just kill them. That's all I know about the game. I've been avoiding any other details. Yeah, we uh, we did a review of it. Uh, it start, According to our reviewer, it starts out strong, ends strong, has kind of a lull in the middle, mostly because like the, the starting characters and the ending characters are really great. But like along the way, you run into a whole bunch of people that our reviewer just couldn't give a shit Which about. sounds like a whole lot like the first Assassin's Creed. Yeah, um, you do get a lot of fun gadgets though. Like as you, instead of like a level up system, they made it to where like you, as you collect clues and expand your knowledge, you gain points and perk points that you can put into your gadgets. Yeah, and uh, it sounds like you can do some really crazy stuff with them. Like you get a smoke bomb, and it's just a smoke bomb at first, but if you level it up, to, like, just like the other one, three, you know, I always liked having the bomb that makes people go nuts. And just on, start attacking uh, on, the smoke, each other. on the smoke bomb on level three, you can uh, you can ignite the smoke with fire. <laughs> oh, okay. No, the one I'm thinking of uh, is a poison bomb, and it just makes whoever inhales it just go nuts and attack everybody else, and then they kill over dying. They copied that for uh, the Middle Earth game, in which you can if you poison a grog ba- uh, barrel, they drink the grog, they go nuts, they attack everybody, then they explode. So you still yeah, have to play those Middle Earth really. games, dude. As a matter of fact, you can. I can't say you skip the, uh, the the first one because it, the story is so good, but the second story is so even even better. It's the kind of game I I, I still play, and you know it can still holds up because if I remember, uh, Shadow of War came out in 2015. Yeah. 2017. No, um, the first game came out in 2015. Yeah, I I know I need to sit down and play those things at some point, but. It's if, probably not going to happen this year because we're about to hit October, and October is full of things I want to play. If you want to play the true successor of the Batman Arkham Asylum games, it's not Spider-Man. It's Middle-Earth. Trust me when I say this. And here's the thing about it. It's one of the games in which all the skills that you get mean something. Because you know how it is. You know, sometimes when you get the skills in these Batman-type games, it's like, oh, I'm never going to use that. But all these... They do something, and they do something that you really need to do. It's just, it's an all-time great. And it's one of those games I keep playing, even though it's uh, six years old now. Mm-hmm. The characters are so good. I love what they did with Shelob. Anyways, uh, we're getting off topic here. Um, we're going to go to quick news. Uh, no more free upgrades to, for Windows 7 and 8. User says Microsoft. Free upgrades from 7 to 8, uh, Windows 7 8 to Windows 11 will no longer be available, although those on Windows 10 can still looking to make up a greeter. Nothing to fear. And I'm thinking if you have Windows 7 or 8, you haven't upgraded? What is going on there? <laughs> I can't like, imagine what people value about Windows 7 or 8 that they were just like, I'm never going to move on from this one. Because I, I think Windows 7 in particular was so good that people didn't just want to upgrade from it, you know? They just have their. I, I think because Windows 10 and 11 are, are more intrusive with its uh, ads and uh, online. I don't think it's. Oh. I think it's just that seven is so well done and not buggy. You know. I, mean, I liked XP. I wouldn't mind staying on that, but it's you know. Not, well, not XP happening. is antiquated by now. But yeah, if people who haven't upgraded by now aren't going to upgrade, they're just going to keep it on their second computer for the software that they have on it. Yeah. 
their main computer may have Windows 10 and 11, but their other computer is never going to upgrade. And so I think that's the one that they don't have. Um, they have a disk drive and they don't, and it's not online. Yeah, I don't know. Like <laughs> at this point, I think the most annoying thing is that like when you get Windows updates, you never know what it's going to break or leave intact. Um, yeah. But getting past that part, I don't know. I I I like Windows 11 enough that uh, actually, you know what? I don't know that I care enough about any other Windows to be like I'm gonna stick to this one forever. Yeah, I haven't upgraded yet because I don't have to yet. <laughs> I don't have the chip thing, so I can't. I could, but I'm not. I mean, when I get a new computer, it's probably going to have Windows 11 already installed. So yeah, that'll likely happen, yeah. Anyways, we're moving on to game news. Uh, Payday 3's first update is delayed to, to mid-October to ensure stability. Uh, this is coming to us from PC Gamer. It's another bump of the road for the beleaguered heist shooter Payday 3 as Starbreeze Studios has delayed an update that was expected to go live today, um, October 5th, and as it also needs to do some more server maintenance. Uh, they tweeted, we're extremely sorry for this, but we've chosen to delay today's planned patch to ensure stability. The patch needs some changes that would require us to go through console certification again. Oh, God. And we need to be ready to deliver this one for mid-October. The update delay is the latest in a series of misfortunes and missteps that have plagued Payday 3 in its first two weeks since launch. Matchmaking problems have made it difficult to get into the game, even for people who didn't want to play online. Oh, that's always nice. Thanks to the always online requirement, this led to a mostly negative rating on Steam. Currently, only 39% of the more than 3,000 user reviews are positive, and eventually an acknowledgement by the studio that an offline mode might not be a bad idea. You think? Um, Starbreeze did say earlier this week that Payday 3's matchmaking stability and performance has been straightened out over the previous two updates rolled out on September 26th and 29th. However, there's more work needed, as Starbeast said in a follow-up tweet, that further server maintenance is also required. Uh, according to Starbeast, ideally this will not be noticeable, but we will still want you to give a heads-up of our maintenance window of 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central Standard Time on the 9th and 10th, the 6th and 10th of October. Thanks for sticking with us. You know, if they keep doing this, no one's going to be sticking with them. This has just been one big mess with Payday 3. Yeah, no kidding. And how... You had a you had a player base that was chomping at the bit for this. They love this game. They love this series. They love this franchise. And like to leave them to leave them cold like this is pretty rough. I like I don't know if I would I don't know what I would do if I like dug into a Guilty Gear game like and it was just hot shit. <laughs> like I couldn't go online. I couldn't play with anyone. I had to fucking wait for them to update the game so I could even play most of its main elements because it's all online and i don't know that's that is really rough that is really rough for a series that has such a fervent cult following i think maybe i think maybe it would be more accurate to say if you play deep rock galactic and it was like this you know a little more accurate because it's also a co-op uh, game yeah it just it just sucks like that is this is why people don't want games to be always online. This is why people want offline content that they can fiddle with when there's server issues and other such bugs that keep them from being able to access any of the other parts of the game. Like, man, it's got to be hard times being a Payday fan right now. 
there is a game coming up um, for Game Pass, which I saw a video of, and it really intrigued me. And it's a bird, um, it's a bird singing, uh, uh, what do you call it again? You know, the game that eliminates people, um, you know, like PUBG. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, wait. Uh, wait, which game were you talking about? Uh, you know the, uh, game that's, um, you know, the, you know what PUBG is, right? It's, a. Uh, yes. It's a casino, oh, it's a, um, something royale, um. Something royale. See, my brain has stopped. Yeah, battle royale. <laughs> battle royale. Yeah. So you have a bird singing battle royale game coming up, which just looked. It was like twenty-one mini games. They're just so bizarre. They're head banging birds. I think oh, that's no, the name I of it. I haven't seen that at all. <laughs> it's a game called Oh Headbangers Rhythm Royale. Um, it's all about birds that are head banging, and it's a rhythm game. Like um, like Guitar Hero or something, except there's there are like 20 to 23 different types of mini games that you play. It's like 30 people playing at once, and you have to be the best at rhythm gaming. Wild, yeah, I wouldn't be able to win that one. No, you check out the video. It's like 23 mini games. Check it out. You're gonna say, wait, I want to play this, even if I'm terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so good. It's being published by Team 17. But yeah, it's one of the. I'll have to check it out. It's one of those games in which you go, you know what? I'm gonna try that out because it looks like fun. Anyways, uh, we're gonna have to have a look see it. Yeah, we're gonna have to go to the next item. Go ahead, uh, TJ. Alrighty. Wolf Among Us Two Dev says Telltale laid off most of us from PC games in. Telltale Games shut down once in 2018, leaving many of its developers without a job, only to come back to life a year later under new ownership. Many of the company's former devs returned to work on upcoming games such as The Wolf Among Us 2 and the recently released The Expanse. Jonah Huang, one of the team's cinematic artists, has just shared that he and an unspecified number of other employees were laid off by Telltale last month. Developer described how Telltale laid off most of us in early September. He states that he isn't able to share any news about The Wolf Among Us 2 due to an uh, signed NDA. Huang concludes his post by saying that by explaining that the layoffs occurred weeks after Telltale acquired a UK-based studio called Flavorworks, reiterating once more that he is not saying this in an attempt to hurt the business but rather simply saying the effects of how it felt to be laid off. He looks back at his time with Telltale fondly, stating that the studio gave him a good deal this time around. Regardless, Huang says it ended the same way most jobs in games end, a layoff, not a retirement. It's not clear how many employees Telltale has laid off, as the former dev's statement could mean most of the entire studio overall. Most of the Wolves Among Us 2's two teams uh, or a specific team or most of a specific team within that team. The alleged news about Telltale's layoffs comes amid many others across the gaming industry, like those at CD Projekt Red and Riot Games. Yeah, there's been a lot of announcements of people getting laid off in the past week and a half. Epic just laid off nearly 900 people. Epic freaking games, the people that make Fortnite. And that's like, that's epic. I don't understand how, like, the people that make Unreal Engine 2 or Unreal Engine 5 
could flub it up so hard to let 900 people go. You know what, what uh, Paul would be saying, right? It's like all these people are being treated like contractors when they should be treated like salaried positions. And, you know, one of the ways if a union does pop up is to say if you hire – you're someone, you're not hiring contractors, you're hiring employees, and if you're going to fire them, you better give them a big severance package so it disincentivizes you from firing them. Yeah. And, like, the the news out of Telltale is especially, like, <laughs> I'm running out of optimism for Wolf Among Us too, because before this layoff news, there was already a controversy going on because the, the creator of Fables – Looks like he might be going into legal battle with DC Comics because DC thinks they own the rights to Fable, and uh, he claims that uh, yeah, Robert better better strap up because they're, he's going to lose. Well, he uh, he claims that there was stuff in the contract that their lawyers tried to basically. I'm sorry, Bill. Go that uh, he claims that there's stuff in the contract between Fab- between him and uh, DC regarding Fables that their lawyers basically tried to skim over and push other deals through and multiple times over, he said no. And so it ultimately resulted in him claiming that he's putting fables into public domain, which DC says, no, you can't do that. Yeah. It's tricky because all the characters are public domain. (laughs) Yeah. It really does look like they're going to end up in court over that, which can't, Spell good thing can't can't continue to spell good things for the wolf among us too. Uh, yeah, there was a Batman versus Bigby uh, comic limited for six comics. Did you see that? I Bat- did not see that. There's a Batman Fables crossover. Well, Batman crosses over with everybody, but the name of the the name of the uh, miniseries was a Wolf in Gotham. So I still haven't read it. Um, people who have read it. Gave it me, uh, you know, it's okay. But yeah, it's just, it's just. I think it's going to come out. It's just the fight is going to be over who gets the royalties from that game. Uh, yeah, well, a layoff. As we're waiting on new information for it, after it also got delayed to 2024, like there's a lot of there's a lot of bad signs around that game, and. I don't know. I, There's I, always I, a lot of bad signs around Telltale. Period. I mean, I'm not doing this. I mean, the previous iteration. So they're just they're just carrying on the the tradition of of Telltale shittiness. Yeah, I don't know. It'll. I I I, I would like to see The Wolf Among Us two come out. I would like to see people be compensated for their work at the same time. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this shakes out. We're going to move on to the next item. Uh, Sony confirms cyber attack exposed details of Sony confirms cyber attack exposed details of nearly 7,000 current and former employees. And this comes to us from Eurogamer. Sony Interactive Play- uh, Entertainment has confirmed that the personal information of 6,700 or so former and current employees were exposed as part of a cyber attack in June. Uh, the data breach was carried out by Clop Ransomware Group, bleeping computer reports. Sony is now contacting anyone affected and is offering credit monitoring and identity, identity restoration service. Hold on. Um, we're going to learn later in the article that they found, uh, they discovered this on June 2nd. It's October 5th now, and they're just now 
contacting everyone affected and offering credit monitoring and identity restoration services? That's July, August, September. That's four months later. What are you doing, Sony? You're, you're the same thing we did before? I guess. Uh, the sensitive information was accessible through a now-fixed vulnerability in Sony's MoveIt file transfer platform, enabling an author, unauthorized actor to download the files containing personal uh, information. MoveIt developer Progress Software flagged the vulnerability three days after the attack on the 31st of May. Um, this is what happens when you create your own security system in-house when you've never really been good at security in the first place. It's not, well, it's not security. It's a file transfer, but still. Um, this is the second data breach that's come to light uh, for Sony recently. Yes, this is not what we were talking about last week. This, the 6,000, this is something else. Last month, a different ransomware group claimed that it had hacked all of Sony's systems and was selling data following the company's refusal to pay. At the time, Sony did not respond to Eurogamer's request for comment, but told other publications it was, quote-unquote, currently investigating. A few days after breaking the news, Cybersecurity Connect reported another person came forward claiming to have hacked Sony and leaked credentials for some of Sony's internal systems. So that's three hacks. Sony, get someone who knows about security to help you with your systems. You don't have to contact Microsoft. You can contact someone else. But apparently, whatever you're doing, it ain't working. Yeah, and never, like, yeah, the fact that they have two ridiculously large ransomware data breaches like this, one in June, and then I, I when I read this story today, I was like, oh, they're finally addressing the one that just happened last week. No, this is no, another one. This is another one. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? Really? Like, that many? Like, what is... What is the cybersecurity protocols of Sony if this can happen on that scale two times in a season? They don't want to pay somebody else, apparently. Hey. Sony, online. This is, this go is, ahead and change my passwords and make sure that... Uh, well, in this case, I hope you, you, know, you didn't work for Sony, did you? No, but like the second breach may... The second breach doesn't necessarily just apply to uh, to employees. The first one that that we're talking about with uh, the the nearly seven thousand people. Now people talk about. Was, I'm sorry, but people talk about the PSN attack, but people now over forgot the time when Sony was hacked by North Korea because they were pissed off at, at the, their movies and just showed all their emails. Uh, they turned. They they figured out how to, or hackers also figured out how to uh, get into the root kit of PS3. And, well, that was a PSN uh, hack, yeah. Yeah, there was that one Christmas where they just shut the PlayStation Network down altogether with a DDoS attack. Oh, that happens and, all the uh, time. So, man, that was, that was a long time. The uh, Sony Pictures hack was in 2014. And then, the, and then we got this, not just this employee hack that happened in June, but this other hack that happened very recently where, like, I might need to go ahead and change. Like I said, I might need to go ahead and change my password because Sony hasn't told me who got hit yet. Yeah. So, I'm, it's, you know, I'm going to bet you it's an email hack. And once again, they downloaded all the emails with all the secrets on them, the nuclear codes. I don't know. See... We've had DDoS attacks on Xbox Live, you know, um, when it went down. You know, sometimes there'll be a DDoS attack on Xbox Live. You have to deal with it because, you know, like for 12 to 24 hours, you can't play or do anything on it. But for the most part, 
you know, you don't your your personal information isn't leaked. It's just a DDoS attack. I don't. And also, you know, um, and all this because, by the way, uh, Sony didn't want to pay Microsoft for their OS and their system, so they used the other OS, which is Linux. And that's why you had the other attack in which they just hacked everybody's uh, PlayStation Network profiles. Because Sony didn't want to pay Microsoft. They wanted to pay Linux. But guess what? Linux is a hacker's paradise. Ask any hacker. They, they all work in Linux. When you make that your OS, it's like you just rang the dinner bell for hackers. Anyways, we're going to move on. Yeah. Uh, Scott, take the next last item. Uh, okay. Stardew Valley creator shares new screenshots of Haunted Chocolatier. This is from Eurogamer. Eric Concerned Ape Baron. By the way, you know his, his, his nickname? It's funny because if, if, he, if he was just a new developer, you'd assume he was into NFTs with that, with that nickname, Concerned Ape. I was thinking of, um, was it, what was that ape called? Hammurabi or something like that? Or, I don't know. I can't remember. Anyways. Uh, the creator of the beloved farming sim Stardew Valley has celebrated one million followers by sharing four new screenshots of the forthcoming next game, Haunted Chocolatier. Shared on X, formerly Twitter, uh, uh, the four screenshots show some new areas, an interior home and shop, a vivid forest, a mermaid fountain in presumably the town square, and a creepy library with a peering skeleton. Uh, the four screenshot also shows the character shooting a leafy creature with a bow and arrow, suggestive of increased combat focus compared with Stardew. That's that's not it's not it's not suggestive. Um, if you've seen if if these people didn't see the trailer, the trailer had him attacking all these creatures in the forest. So yeah, there, it's like it's like Zelda. You can fire, you can swing your sword, that sort of stuff. Say so the game will ha- include boss battles. Uh, just last month, Barone shared another new screenshot of Haunted Chocolatier, including an old man with a long white beard resting in bed. Fans speculate this could be the same grandpa as in Stardew, perhaps linking the two games together. Earlier in the year, however, Barone said he was pausing development on focus of the next update for Stardew. He's now listed what uh, what's an update 1.6, including new late-game content, new major festival with 100 new lines of dialogue, a, few, a new farm type. And plenty more. Its release, though, is still on note. Jesus amazing. Christ. Yeah. It keeps updating Stardew. And, uh, by the way, folks, uh, these are all free updates, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. That's really cool. So, yeah. Um, seeing the gameplay, you know, um, you're starting your own chocolate shop, and all the people who work for you are ghosts. So, it's interesting. It seems like it's going to be, you know... Part of the story, but most of the story is going to be something else other than the chocolate shop. Although you can create uh, recipes for chocolates and all that stuff. People said it lo- the game looks like um, like Stardew Valley, but I'd say in, it does. It does I mean, sort of a little bit better. It is better, but it's like I mean you could tell it's the same style. It's like any uh, other any SNES game though, really. It but, definitely has the same Stardew uh, style. The 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 sprite character, the tree, it, I mean, you could tell, like, you wouldn't be surprised, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But, I mean, it does look uh, like an upgraded style somehow. I'm not sure how to explain it. You know, it's, I, I mean, think, go ahead. 
you're talking about the sheer difference between Stardew Valley being made years upon years ago and this being a brand new game. That guy mm-hmm. has had time to refine his picture. Oh, yeah, game. definitely. Um, and you can see it in Haunted Chocolatier right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could probably see it looking at Stardew Valley now because I'm sure he's updated things visually as he went. But, like, if you were to take a screenshot from day one of Stardew Valley and compare it to Haunted Chocolatier, I think it would be a stark difference. Like, he still has, like, he obviously has the charm, and he always has with his art, Mm -hmm. because that's what brought people to Stardew in the first place. Oh, yeah. But it's, uh, I don't know. I I I love, uh... Eric Brown's work concerned Dave. Oh yeah. This his, really his good. stuff is amazing. This this looks more like a traditional RPG in the style of Zelda than, than Stardew Valley. I just, um, like each shot just looks so nice and homey and, and comfortable. Like I just love the the house and the library and I just like all the little details that he has, oh, yeah. books and lights and just you could see like little pictures on the walls and there's it's like a like a fridge with a little magnet and note on it. and it's just it's so nice. It's just so little detail in there, and it's just amazing. I hope that this game, when it does come out, and I'm not like saying he needs to rush it because obviously he's going to take his time, but uh, I hope this game comes out somewhere around the holidays so I can just nestle in with a <laughs> cup of hot cider and just play this game. This will be like next week, next year. Um, maybe he's uh he's still working on Stardew Valley after he said he was going to be done with Stardew Valley after 1.5, and then he was like, no, never mind. Um, so if I don't know if you've watched the video, um, the combat is very Zelda-esque. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. Um, mm-hmm. I like that there's boss battles. I'm sure people will enjoy that too. So I, I guess there is be... combat in Stardew. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's when you go down into the caves, though. I mean, this one is more overt. This one is more overtly. And... I think. I think the point is that the combat is more integrated with the game. There's, there's more reason to get into the combat because I think you could probably ignore the cave for the most part uh, when you play Stardew. You don't have to go in there, you know. You don't have to go all the way down. You don't have to do stuff there. Whereas this would be like you're going to be wandering around and you have to. Uh, it's more you know, part of the gameplay loop that you have to in, in, interface with these creatures and I guess go hunt for certain things for your recipes or whatever it is that you're doing. The other thing that it's more of a traditional RPG in that there's a lot more character interaction than there is in Stardew. Stardew is basically um, just meeting people and, you know, sending them gifts and marrying them. This one has more um, discussion of what, of the plot. There's more of a plot in this one in Stardew Valley. So your grandfather left you a farm, go build it. There's a lot of interacting in, yeah, in, but uh, this Star one is this one's more this one's more traditional role playing game interaction, in which you know you, you talk to people. They have, you know how how it is in RPGs. In Stardew, it's more like I'm um, just getting to know your neighbors. This one definitely has a beginning, middle, and end. It seems. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in this game. I feel like we're far off from actually like getting because like we've seen a trailer, some screenshots, and not much more, right? For Haunted Chocolatier. Yeah, but um, from from what he said, I feel like between from what he said, uh, this is this is less open ended than Stardew Valley. This is a much more focused product. Ah, uh, okay, so he is going for a more 
It's more focused. I mean, Stardew Valley is very open. You don't even have okay. to build a big farm. You know, like there... Well, sure, but I'm just saying, like, with the with the way that uh, with with how long it's going to be until Haunted Chocolatier comes out, which I don't expect this game until 2025, if I'm being honest, because he's still working on Stardew stuff. He put this game on hold while he's working on Star Stardew stuff, and. Uh, I don't know how many people like he has, like if he has a team or if it's just him just doing him. all of this. I think what's going on is that, um, well, he said it actually in that he just started this because he thought chocolate would be fun. So this is a game that's being built around the concept of having a haunted chocolatier shop, you know, with ghosts helping right. you run the business, I, and he's just building around it. It's definitely unique and interesting. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. He's a developer who's developed enough ca- enough cachet that he can just, you know, start a game, and he doesn't have to worry about what other people are going to think about it, because people know, you know, people trust him. So it's like when it comes out, you know, people will know generally what to expect, right? It's they're going to expect a deep experience in which there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of depth to it, and. Um, a lot of interaction and uh, basically, you know, systems of creation. In this case, chocolate. Uh, when you kill the uh, creatures, they drop, you know, s- ingredients, and so do. So if you can also harvest ingredients, and you can create your own chocolate, you know, spicy chocolate, that sort of thing, you know. So it's it's going around the idea of running a chocolatier shop, but there's also seems to be a mystery going on, and part of the game is figuring out that mystery. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm, this is one of those games that, like, I want to be in there on day one. I feel like I totally missed the train on Stardew. And I feel, <laughs> and I know that if I wanted to, I could just go in there and settle around. But I also feel like there's so much content in that game at this point that it would take me, like, <laughs> over a hundred hours to experience it all. Although you're probably right. This is a very laid back game. Even the combat's laid back from what I've noticed. It's, it's Zelda combat, and it's not particularly difficult. Although yeah, I mean, if there's a boss, uh, if there's a boss, bosses in the game, then I guess there would be some difficulty. I think you're right. This will be more story focused game and not stressing out about the combat, but it's kind of there to enjoy, you know, just to have a different, you know, just a difference in the uh, gameplay loop because you're you're doing your store, talking to ghosts, talking to NPCs, and then you go out fight some stuff and find a boss and uh i again I, I don't know a whole lot about what's going on in the game and I, I enjoy going in as blind as possible but at least seeing enough to get an idea of what the game is there seems to be a woman who will be your um guide basically during the game who's going to be the person who who hold handhelds you and also doles out exposition it seems it's a different game, but it's not so different. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. Looking very much looking forward to it. Like I said, I don't expect this for a while, but if it comes sooner than 2025, that would be also a delightful surprise. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing. I'm glad he's not spending his entire life on Stardew Valley, even though it seems like he is. It seems like he doesn't mind it because, like like you said, he, he did – update 1.5 and he was like that's it that's the end of stardew valley and then he was like no wait hold on (laughs) i want to make a festival for this game see now that that's the kind of thing that feels like a labor of love like he loves this game so much that 
he just wants to keep adding stuff to it, free stuff, and just being like working on it and making it the best that he feels it can be. And it's just that's wonderful seeing that kind of dev work. I think the money he got from Microsoft for their ga- for Stardew Valley being on Game Pass has allowed him to be a little bit more free to do what he wants to. Wow, that is good then. Actually, No Man's Sky is also on Game Pass, although I don't think they need the money from Microsoft, but they are also are creating updates and updates and updates that are all free as well. No Man's Sky is practically, yeah, we've gone over No Man's Sky so much. It's a different game now. It's, it's almost a whole different game. I haven't gone back to it. I'm still playing Starfield. So. And I'm looking I keep telling for- myself someday I'll because it's in my it's in my uh, folder or it's in my uh, PS my PlayStation library. I just the I only thing that some, stops me from. Do- I posted some screenshots on Twitter. You should check them out. Of of Starfield. Yeah. Oh, Starfield. Yeah. The, there's one that I'm really proud of in which I'm standing in, in Pluto and it's like this is giant. I actually want to see. It's there. Uh, among the uh, joking hazard <laughs> cartoons that I've been posting as well. Oh, red. <laughs> been posting a lot, and they've been reposting some of my stuff too. So the one of you standing on a on a snowy mountain with the sun. That's the one. Kind of bursting. That's the one that's I'm talking gorgeous. about. Gorgeous. Yeah. That's gorgeous. I also posted one afterward of me on a snowy thing where there's a planet in the distance. <laughs> well, two planets. Another moon, but it's just basically. But yeah, that's the one I, I really outdid myself with because uh, one thing about the game is that it has ambient occlusion in which you have global illumination and it's um, affected by the atmosphere and all that stuff. So that's basically what you would see if you had that kind of light source with that kind of atmosphere, with that kind of, you know. And one of the things I have to tell you, if you look at that picture, you can go to any place on that picture you want. There's no skybox. If I want to run all the way to the other peak, I can do that. Yeah, that's amazing. Like for I've heard I've heard some folks complain about it, but like I've heard a lot more good stuff about it than anything else. Yeah, and like Someone, and like genuine good stuff. No. Yeah. So like, the thing about Starfield that I think people I, I, I it's also Bethesda's fault too, because um the thing about Starfield is um this is a sort of game in which um, when you start the main the main the main quest, just ditch it, just ditch it. Point at a plan and say, "I want to go there. I want to go there and explore." Then come back when you're done to the main quest. It's one of those games in which after you do the new game plus, basically what you really want to do is just go all over the place and, and just see the sights. It's like it's it's a sightseeing game basically. And you just do what I do, and that's just travel to planets and try and snap great photographs. <laughs> the silliest thing I've heard is people saying that they went back to Cyberpunk 2077 and it ruined Starfield for them. And it's like, those are two, da- two, two ding-dang different things. You can enjoy one or the other or both. Or maybe they just don't like space games. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard a lot of complaining about Star- uh, Cyberpunk 2077 Second Edition, too. Like no one, no one, no one can ever be happy. It seems. The the most egregious thing I've heard is that uh, is some folks saying Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is a good game and it always was. No, it wasn't. Now, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> the part I take issue with is like this revisionist history that it wasn't so bad when it came out of the gate that it got kicked off PlayStation Network for a while. 
Hey, like that's, it's, it's not even just about the bugs. It's just that I did not like the perk system at all. The perk system was yeah. bad. It was really, really bad. And that's one of the things they decided they needed to fix was that stupid perk system. Yeah. They streamlined it, which they should. The only thing... The only thing that bothers me about Starfield is that the progression can be a little bit slow when you're New Game Plus. Sort of like, I want to get this new ability. I want to be able to do this. Because that's the main reason is that um, a lot of the abilities you're never going to be able to get even a yeah. few of in the first run through. Is that when you keep on going New Game Plus, New Game Plus, New Game Plus, New Game Plus, you keep on leveling up your character. And by the way, there is no level cap. Um, but on the other hand, I can't see myself being able to get all the levels and everything anyway because it's... It would take me, what, 500 hours to do that? So at some point, you know, it's just like... And also, um, I started doing different story branches and I'm discovering stuff I never saw before. I went to Titan, and there's a place there that's completely for tourists, and all these... Uh, uh, what, it's just one big museum for Titan. It's like, what? Really? Oh, and then this 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 doctor... She says, you know, I really hate tourists. Can you do me a favor? Can you wear this space monster, get up and scare them? I said, sure. So there I am in this cheesy space monster get up, running around Titan scaring tourists. It's, it, is the, it is the most Saints Row thing I can imagine. Nice. So yeah, just going place, you know, and I, I've only visited like 25 planets, you know, and there's a thousand of them. Yeah. And then you have Shattered Space coming, and I know what it's going to be about, because now that I've had New Game Plus, I can guess what it's about. Um, it is a game in which... Starfield is a game in which you have to live in. You know, it's an RPG, but, you know, it's sort of like, don't don't rush through it. Just, just, that's just, that's just how Skyrim so. felt, that you're supposed to live in that world. And look who the developer is. Right. Mm-hmm. Half that's, the fun of, like, most of those games... like. I hated the main quest of Fallout 3, but I loved exploring everything else that was around the main quest. But here's the thing about Starfield. Um, now now you have a thousand planets, all of them curated, and you never know what you're going to find on all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some repeatable, you know, some co- uh, cookie-cutter quests. That, you know, like, oh, my friend, is, my friend hasn't come back. Can you go find him? That, that sort of quest happens more, you know, it's what like one of those stock quests. But there are some interesting quests, like the one I told you about, the Saints Row quest, in which you have to dress up as a monster and scare tourists. Uh, and it's always funny because they start screaming like, 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 like they're in a Godzilla movie. So, mm. but yeah, a lot of a Starfield is just exploring. You know, it's like the planets are gotta catch them all. <laughs> That's pretty neat, though. Like, especially if like you can land on them, fiddle with them, play with them, and it's just and just do what you feel like doing. And also, all the monster, all the creatures in Starfield are made from scratch. They're not like like No Man's Sky in which they're procedurally generated. And there are just some weird friggin' creatures out there. So a dinosaur. With... I've seen the one where uh, the guy is like in a dial <laughs> in a dialogue with a guy, and uh, it's like some sort of horrible spider-looking creature with, like, a bulbous head that just comes up and knocks his ass out. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but I'm pretty sure. Oh, I saw, um, I saw killer crabs, you know? Crab-like creatures that are killers. 
think I, oh, and also, oh, see, I built my base on a level 45 planet, and my, my guy at the time when he did is only level 35. So there are these creatures that are sort of like uh, oversized cockroaches, which are like, you know, not peaceful. They're wary, so that if, if you start bothering them, they start stomping and, and calling, you know, they're trying to, they're, they're showing a defensive mechanism. And then there are these uh, walking killer squids that are running around killing them. And if they see you, they may think you're a tasty snack too. And they're high level. They're a higher level than me. So I had to my base. I had to set up with a bunch of turrets. And um, I left two people. They can't be part of the main crew because they have plot armor. But two of the people who are from the beginning of the game, I decided to let them work there. I came back. They were gone. And I can't find them anywhere. And I'm thinking, oh, God, they got killed, didn't they? They, they done got <laughs> et by these giant color squids while I was gone, didn't they? Oh, now, no. no, I have is a maintenance bot that, that whirs around. every uh, Occasionally have to repair him because he gets attacked, too. It's just, yeah. <laughs> also, you know, the day-night cycles of each of the planets, um, every planet has their own day-night cycle because, like, some planets only have 18 hours. Some planets have 13 hours. So you have universal time, but you also have, you know, the times on those planets, too. And um, I just have this video. I don't know if I showed it to you in which I'm just running, running, running. And it's like a 45-minute video. As I go on, it's like the day gets darker and darker and darker. It gets to dusk. By the time I can reach my – it's like almost nighttime. And it's like – and it's, you know, sometimes you, you go to sleep and you wake up. There's fog all over the place. It's really foggy. Or you wake up and there's like a violent thunderstorm going on. And all these places, you know, are, you know, the weather is also true to where they would be on that planet. Like when I was on Titan, there's a constant snowfall. And I know the snow is made of methane. It's just, and it's always dusk there too because of the heavy uh, clock. It's just, it's an exploration game in every sense of the word. And also the cities, the major cities, I thought I visited all of them, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, I didn't go to this part of the city. Oh, wait, there's an entirely new part of the city. And every city, it's like you keep on un- – un- it's like an onion. You keep on peeling layers from it. Yeah, this game was in development for a long time, and it shows. Yeah. And um, I just hope Shattered Space just also brings a lot more content. Yeah, and it also looks like just like so many people had a hand in this, like not just Bethesda. But like I've I've heard that machine games helped, Arcane helped, uh, even id software helped a little bit, yeah. and like some of the stuff that you can some of the stuff as you look at this you can see it like whether it's creature design whether it's weapon design, the bulky looking shotguns look right out of Doom. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of oh wait. Um, I saw some definite references to uh, stuff like Warhammer, and um, I saw some references to Dune. I saw some references to a lot of science fiction. There was a lot of stuff going in there. I did this thing. Now, I already knew about Terramorphs, right, because um, in one of my gameplay, you know, I stumbled upon them. So I did the UC, the United Colonies uh, Vanguard quest line, and it dealt with, you know, finding a Terramorph. And here, here, here's a thing which will tell you how far away it is. And it's oh shit, they're making me do alien, aren't they? So there I am. The thing goes deep, deep, and if it gets close, it goes deep, 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 deep. You know, it's like uh, they just want they just straight up doing alien here. 
and you have to set up these machine guns so that you can get it in a crossfire. It's like, yeah, they just wanted me to redo Alien or maybe Alien 3. It's just there's a lot of references in this game. Mm-hmm. There's a there's Cthulhu references, which I did not expect. <laughs> or maybe I should have. I don't know. <laughs> It sounds uh, like it's a blast so far. Eventually, I'm gonna have to try it because, like, it's it's probably gonna be in the running for game of the year. Here's the thing. Again, when you play the game, um, like the first eight hours are basically the main quest, and usually you have to do it because you need to get the basic stuff. But after that, um, once they start saying, "Oh, go here to get an artifact," go here to, you can just say, "Nah, I'm gonna go over here and whatever." Just fine. Like you, like, uh, and the game actually, you know, what you want to do is actually demands, you know, oh, you want to build uh, outposts uh, in in really extreme weather? Well, you can't do that unless you level up your outposts, which means you have to get eight points in first in that uh, in the science thing, or I forgot what it is, science or logistic or whatever. But you have to get eight points before you be able to do that, you know. Sort of like all these things that you know, you want to do this, well, you better do this. You want to do this, you better do this. I've seen people who said that the um, dialogue. The uh, the persuasion skill is is like trash and no, I like this persuasion skill and when I when I'm able to convince people to do stuff, hey, I feel good. I have not learned how to bribe yet because apparently that adds a bribery uh, dialogue option if you want. There's a lot that I haven't unscratched because basically I've just been Doctor Livingston and just looking for planets to explore. Nice. And it sounds like you'll have plenty to do with that for a pretty dang long time based on how the game is built. Yeah. It's funny because um, there there's so many locations that tell stories without saying an utter word, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're talking about Starfield too much. Uh, <laughs> I was enjoying it. Yeah, let's but... talk about Haunted Chocolatier. Uh, <laughs> I'm interested in, I, you know, I, I played a little bit of Stardew Valley. I don't know if I'm ever going to get into it again. I may get into it. There's just so much that I'm that that's falling on my lap. So, yeah, Chocolatier, there was a lot of chocolate games that I enjoyed, but were mostly, you know, those um, the cooking dash type games in which you're just building chocolates. Like, I want to, I haven't actually gotten to see too much of the haunted aspect of it yet. If you watch the video, you'll see, it's it's very nicey-nicey haunted. It's not, you know, it's not like evil poltergeist. No, it's just very nice ghosts who look like they came out of a Super Mario Brothers game. Uh. <laughs> you know, those those round white ghosts with the two flippers for arms. <laughs> so, yeah, and they're there, and they're, they're, they're working your shop, and no one seems to notice that they're ghosts, or maybe they know that they're ghosts, and they don't care. <laughs> oh, you have ghosts working for you. That's, that's interesting. I don't know, between the fountain you know, with the three mermaids and the library with the skeleton up top, it kind of feels like there's a Almost kind of, I would say, a haunted mansion kind of. I guess. Yeah, I, here's the thing. Mansion, obviously, it's like, it's a haunted mansion thing, but it's more like Luigi's Mansion. There's nothing scary about it. It's more like there's a lot of supernatural stuff going on. Figure out what it is. I want to know more about why there's a skeleton man in that bookcase. <laughs> Maybe it's the previous owner. Who knows? <laughs> Anyways, uh, look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net. Link in the industry news and our gaming history articles. If you enjoy feedback, send us comments at our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, set us up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us on iTunes comments. You can find me on X, Twitter, at Jonah Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chits. You can find Scott at Shard No More. 
and we will see you next week. Happy gaming, um, everyone. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, oh, Scott. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be good. Hey, good job there, uh, TJ. Yeah. A plus. <laughs> Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all. <laughs>